Hey guys, what is up? Welcome back to Flourishing with PTSD, a podcast designed to help normalize conversations around mental health, specifically in the context of PTSD, also known as post-traumatic stress disorder. If this is your first time tuning in for an episode, I would like to personally welcome you. If you are a regular listener or someone who occasionally pops in for an episode here and there, welcome to you as well. My name is Manda and I am the host. This is as good a time as any to let you know that I am not a medical professional in any capacity. I am not a doctor, not a therapist, none of that. I am, however, a survivor with my fair share of trauma and you know, that's why I'm here because so many of us are survivors of trauma um, and we deserve to have a community where we can learn from each other and feel less alone in the thick of it. Um, I will also put a trigger warning on this episode today, so just make sure to check in with yourself, see how you're doing, and then decide whether or not you are ready to continue. I gotta tell you guys, I am so excited for this season of the podcast. New guest speakers that we haven't heard from yet in this space, new topics, and a continued journey in learning about the self in the aftermath of trauma. It's all very exciting. You know, I mean, well, you know, exciting as it can be for facing into trauma, all that good stuff. Um, sometimes if you don't laugh, you just, you'll, you'll never stop crying. So, you know, gotta insert some laughter here and there. (laughs) So I have spent the last few months taking a break from my crazy routines and trying to spend more time getting to know myself. Some of that was fun and intentional, like going on a road trip with my two best friends. And we went from coast to coast across the United States. Um, We spent about two weeks seeing amazing landscapes, having deep philosophical car conversations, and essentially we got to escape reality for a while, which was really, really needed. Um, And some of this time was also spent reaching new milestones, right? So my sister and I moved out together and we are completely on our own. There is nothing more exciting and equally terrifying about moving out on your own for the first time. Like just nothing else compares to that feeling. (laughs) Um, And definitely a mixed bag of emotions on that. And I think that that is a great topic all by itself to talk about in another episode. Um, And, you know, the rest of this Recent time has just been spent in a tough headspace and having to experience some uncomfortable feelings and situations. For one thing, my beloved childhood puppy, who we had the privilege of loving and being loved by for 13 amazing years, was put to rest a few weeks ago. And I can't stress this point enough that losing a pet the pain of that and the gravity of it is so underestimated. The pain of that loss, even though, you know, it was his time and he's in a better place, that sharpness of his absence is also something that is unparalleled. And the idea of time continuing on without him and me having to go into the rest of life's milestones without him is not a concept that has quite formed in my brain yet. Um, But for those of you who have been following me on Instagram now uh, for a while. Um, You have seen my sweet fur baby make the occasional appearance on my stories. Um, And if you are in a rough spot mentally or and if you're able, please consider getting a pet. Like it is a responsibility and you have to be able to take care of another creature. But my sweet boy was constantly a game changer for me. And he always made me feel better. Just something that I thought I'd plug in there is that pets really have such a gift 
in bringing so much joy and laughter um, to your life in a time where maybe that's lacking in your life. Um, So Wrigley, I love you so much. I'm glad that you are no longer in pain, my sweet boy. I miss you. (sighs) And now that I have paid that tribute to my sweet baby boy, we can dive into the rest of the stuff that I have been struggling with recently. And when I tell you that this was an uncomfortable experience, well, that's an understatement, not to mention that it was relatively traumatic. Um, (laughs) So I want to put another trigger warning right here, particularly if hospitals and emergency rooms or medical exams for the more private parts of your body are, like if that's something that's really upsetting for you to talk about or hear about. Um, I also want to add that I will be telling the story in a way that um, describes how I was able to get through something like this in a controlled situation and then in an uncontrolled situation. Um, And for those of you guys out there listening, this might not be an episode that you will be excited for. because we're going to be talking about the relationship between, you know, like painful periods and having doctors around the lower female region and sexual assault and things like that. So you are more than welcome to stay um, and listen if you have women in your life that you really care about and this might be something that they go through. Um, So happy to have anyone who's willing to stay, but otherwise I won't judge you if you decide to skip this episode. (laughs) No pressure at all. So anyways, some of you at this point might be wondering... Amanda, does this topic, like, how does this topic fit in with PTSD and mental health? Like, get off your soapbox, like, what are you doing? And I'm so glad that you asked that right off the bat. Look at you guys, becoming such an active audience. I love it. (laughs) Well, hopefully this point will reveal itself as the episode unfolds, but to give you a basic understanding going in so you uh, know what to listen for, um, here's how I'm looking at it. When someone, and I will say a woman in this example because that's the only lens of life that I'm familiar with. So when a woman is sexually assaulted and, you know, like that is one of the biggest physical violations that can ever happen to a person. When a woman is specifically raped or has even survived an attempted rape, there is an instinct to protect the most intimate parts of your body because you kind of, you you know what's gonna happen, right? And so your brain goes into this mode of keep this attacker away from me. And if I can't keep them away from me, then I'm gonna do everything I can to keep them away from my that particular body part, right? And again, that is um, what I'm describing is a fight response. Um, Not all of us experience that, but hopefully you kind of understand what I'm getting at, right? That part of your body becomes more sensitive to, you know, having more interaction, right? Like, for example, with a doctor, So fast forward to when it comes time to have that doctor's appointment to make sure that everything is going okay in that lower region. And not only is this woman carrying a heightened sense of protection and defensiveness around her body, but that is on top of the conditioning that we face as children about protecting our bodies from either being seen or being touched, you know, and how, you know, suddenly we're supposed to just like turn that off and be like, oh yeah, okay, now it's okay. You know, that's a lot of mental baggage to sift through. And believe me when I say, it weighs tons. It, it's so heavy. And when someone has been sexually assaulted and then they have to go in for just a routine gynecological exam, the mention of that idea alone can be severely and significantly triggering. So I want to start off 
kind of explaining to you my journey in a controlled situation. And that starts with about like telling you a story about 20 year old Amanda, right? When I turned 20, I went in to see my gynecologist. And if you don't know what a gynecologist is, they are a doctor that specializes in the function and potential disease of the female body as it pertains to the reproductive system. Uh, so to be more specific, they specialize in most all things involving, you know, the vagina, the uterus, ovaries, etc. Um, so I was seeing one on a just a yearly basis because I'm on birth control for reasons that will be explained later. Anyways, I take it in the form of the pill, and in order for me to get that prescription renewed each year, I have to check in with my doctor and make sure that everything is still going okay. Well, when I was turning 20, I went in for this renewal conversation. It wasn't an exam, it was just a conversation. And at that point in my life, I had never had any kind of gynecological exam uh, it was always just a conversation. Yep, this birth control is working for me. Okay, great. But around 20, doctors recommend uh, that women get their first pap smear, and I think a pelvic exam. Um, and if you cringed just now, don't worry. I cringe at these words every single time, and I might sound calm, but like part of me is like really like, Ugh, like don't even say the words. Um, so I'm trying to stay calm for you. <laughs> um, but basically, a pap smear or a pap test is a test carried out on a sample of cells uh, from the cervix to check for any abnormalities that might be indicative of cervical cancer. Um, it is a somewhat invasive exam, right? Um, and a pelvic exam is the physical examination of the external and internal female pelvic organs. Um, and it's frequently used in gynecology for the evaluation of symptoms affecting the female reproductive and urinary tract, such as like pain, bleeding, discharge, or trauma, all of the above, right? Um, and etc. Thank you, Google, for those definitions. <laughs> um, but the way it was explained to me is that you should definitely have these exams if you are sexually active. When my doctor told me this as a 20-year-old that I was due for one of these exams, I explained to her that I, honest to God, was not sexually active. And she, knowing that, was okay with me waiting one more year. Um, so when I was 21 and I went in for that conversation again about the birth control, she brought up the exams again. And I kind of like knew it was coming, but I was really nervous. And she just, you know, she said it was time. Um, and before we got any farther into that conversation, I knew that she needed to know my history with PTSD and sexual assault. And so I explained to her very briefly my situation, um, and my past. And she just kind of nodded and she said, you know, I've worked with other women who have been through something similar, and we have a solution if you'd like to hear how they made it through these exams. And I said I did. I, I really wanted to know, and she explained that for women who are really scared of these exams, trauma or not, like this is a very unsettling situation that you have to go into, right? Um, they are given a one-time prescription to help them calm down, and I can't remember the exact drug. It may have been Xanax. Um, but it doesn't knock you out or anything like that, um, at least it shouldn't, uh, but it calms the anxiety enough to get through the exam. Uh, you can't drive while under its influence though, so you have to make sure that someone is set up to drive you both there and home, both to the clinic and home from the clinic. Um, I personally, you know, well, I'll get to that later. Um, but anyways, so we agreed that this was how we were going to proceed. I would 
take that prescription because there was just no way that I was going to be able to do this without help. I just, I knew it. And so we made the appointment about two months out so that I could mentally prepare and just kind of get myself on track. I talked about it with my therapist and we worked on some mantras to um, just, you know, practice communicating boundaries with the doctor, you know, before the exam and maybe some things that I would need to advocate for during the exam. And when the time came for the exam, you know, it was the night before uh, and I went to the pharmacy to get the prescription and they said that they didn't have it. There was no record of it and I would have to call my doctor. It was like 6 p.m. So it was like after the clinic had already closed. And so I went home and full on freaked out. Like I couldn't get through that exam the next morning without help from this drug. It just wasn't going to happen. There was no way. And the doctor's office again was already closed for the day. So I just, I felt very trapped. And after hyperventilating and trying to talk myself into going like, oh, I should be able to do this. I like women do this all the time. And blah, going down that, you know, really irritating, you know, um, train of thought. I came to a very clear and concise conclusion. No drugs, no exam, period. That was my boundary and I was sticking to it. So I called the doctor's office that night and I just left a message for them to receive the next morning and just simply said I wasn't coming in. And we eventually rescheduled and I canceled that one too. I didn't even try to go get the prescription. I just was like, I am not ready. I cannot do this. So when I went in the next year at 22, this, this was during COVID, by the way. So this is 2020. I had a more real conversation with my doctor about what I could expect during this exam. And I was much more intentional about wanting to get through this exam. Um, and she talked to me about it and she gave me a detailed explanation that I could still understand. And she showed me the tools that would be used. And, you know, that both freaked me out, but it also helped take some of the unknown out of it. And I think that's the biggest thing for me as, you know, someone who is just very closed off to that part of my body, you know, having the mystery taken out of it for an exam like this, that was really important. And so I ended up getting that one-time prescription and my mom was ready to drive me to the office. And so uh, I went in there and, you know, there was next to no one in this clinic because this was July of 2020. Um, and so, you know, you go in, you know, the nurse takes your initial vitals and then, you know, you put the gown on and they tell you to sit on this piece of paper on the, you know, regular like doctor's bench thingy, mabob the bed or whatever. Um, and you have this paper curtain of sorts that kind of, you know, you put over your legs for when the doctor comes in just so it's not initially like, hello, <laughs> you know. So when I was in the room by myself getting uh, dressed in the gown and sitting down, I cried. I just burst into tears and I was so terrified. I just, I started to panic and I really didn't feel like I was experiencing the effects of the drug, but I also only took half the prescription because I always... I have a thing with medication. That's my own fault. Um, but I was able to calm myself down enough and I interrupted those really scared thoughts with my mantras that I had practiced in therapy. You know, I'm proud of myself for getting this far. I'm physically safe in this moment. It's okay to be uncomfortable. I can do this. You know, and just kind of, I had to frame it for myself as a positive thing. Like, look, this is a good thing because I will... I, this is something that is advocates for my health and this is important, you know, and I tried to really stick to the fact that this is important. This is good. Um, 
And so the doctor came in and she was accompanied by a nurse. And from what I understand, this is a pretty standard practice to have another person like a nurse or another doctor in the room. Um, you know, just to make sure that, you know, everyone's doing what they're supposed to do. Um, and I understand and I think that's a really good practice. But also for me as the patient who is big on trust and familiarity, um, this was very unsettling in that moment because I felt safe and familiar with the doctor because we had talked about it for two or three years in a row. Um, but I had never met this nurse before and uh, like that was rough, but it's okay, you know? Um, and so as we started the exam, I was laying there and I closed my eyes and I felt, you know, a little embarrassed, nervous, out of the, just out of place. And I had my mask on, you know, and I just kept my eyes closed as tightly as possible. And I remember, you know, they have an image on the ceiling for you to look at to kind of distract you. They, um, you know, they say that you can look at your phone to distract you or whatever, but I just, I remember my eyes watering, even though they were closed, I felt them water and, I don't know if I actually cried tears during the exam, but the doctor was really great though. She told me what I was about to feel and what the purpose of each part of the exam was for and how long it would take, seconds mostly, and she also validated me saying that I was doing a really good job of hanging in there. And, you know, as a person whose first love language is words of affirmation, that was really important for me. Um, so leaving a place never felt better. <laughs> but, but you know what else? I really did feel so proud of myself. One of my biggest fears in that department was finally faced. I wouldn't say fully conquered because, well, I don't think that'll ever be easy for me, but now I know what to expect. And I think, you know, something that my cousin said to me later that day illustrates my attitude on it because, you know, we met up because I knew that, oh, this might be really triggering and I need to have plans to, you know, keep me on track and like, you know, I just need to probably be around someone. And uh, this is what she said. She said, I didn't expect you to be this upbeat or in this good of a mood after. So if that doesn't paint the picture, I don't know what does. But I was truly proud of myself. And I was riding that wave of pride, um, which I was surprised by, but I just went with it. <laughs> so that's an annual exam at its finest. I am 23 now. And I'm probably due for my next one, but, you know, it's one of those things I'm choosing to kind of forget about, or at least, you know, I was until something happened that forced me to think about it a little more seriously. Um, so I'm going to share this next story for the purpose of helping to explain how grateful I was to have gone through an exam, more so on my own terms and in my control versus out of my control, and how if I hadn't, this next story would have been incredibly all the more traumatizing and also to emphasize that communicating your situation with PTSD or history of sexual assault is crucial for doctors who may have to perform an exam on you um, in a potential emergency situation. Um, so in the first story, I mentioned that I'm on birth control. I went on the pill right after an ER visit for severe cramping when I was 18. Severe doesn't feel like a strong enough word. Uh, when my mom took me to urgent care that day, uh, the doctor there thought that my appendix was bursting and sent me right to the hospital. Um, and they did a, I think it was a CT scan. Ooh, I, I think it was. Um, and my appendix looked fine. Everything looked fine from what 
they could tell and what they could see. Um, but what they guessed was because I was on my period, I may have had a cyst on my ovary that may have burst. And that pain can be excruciating and debilitating for many, many women. Um, unfortunately, that's, you know, somewhat common. Um, and I explained to my doctor that my period is usually really painful and they suggested that I go on birth control to help with those symptoms and kind of even things out. Now, here's the complicated part. I grew up Catholic and I'm still a practicing Catholic. So hearing the words birth control as a potential solution to my problem was a source of, you could say, cognitive dissonance for me. I my parents have never been against birth control or anything like that. Um, but being Catholic, there's this hesitation toward birth control that is kind of drilled into you. And I was uncomfortable with that idea initially because I'm such a people pleaser. And I, part of me was like, I'd rather suffer. Um, but I had other things to consider, right? This was 4th of July weekend, 2016. And I was leaving for college in two months on the other side of the state. Um, so a couple of weeks later, I decided to move forward with the birth control idea with full support of my parents, which I was and am so grateful for. Um, and I won't bore you with the story of trying the different kinds before finding the one that eventually worked for me, uh, because that's a whole story. Um, and But anyway, I was still having a hard time, but it wasn't as bad as it had been um, in relation to my periods, right? And I was able to function and go to my college classes. I was able to focus for the most part, and my sleeping pattern was somewhat normal. Um, but a year later, in October of 2017, I was in the ER again with the same symptoms as last time and the same verdict, assist. They sent me home with no guidance or advice on how to make it better. Um, so that was annoying. But, you know, throughout the following years, I just, I had a hard time, but I was managing somehow, right? But then came the Monday of July 26th, 2021. Out of nowhere, I started to feel achy and crampy. And I'm going to preface this by saying that at this point in time, I was not taking what's called the placebo week of birth control. So when you take birth control, you know, it's a dose of estrogen, or at least mine is, it's a hormone, right? And it prevents your brain from registering this spike of estrogen, which says, okay, it's time to menstruate and have your period, right? It, so I think my understanding, remember, I'm not a doctor, but my understanding is that when you know, you're on birth control, you already have kind of like a, I think it's like a plateaued um, estrogen level or something like that. So your brain doesn't really register the spike and therefore you don't have a period or at least in the same way. Um, but when you have a placebo week, you kind of go through that. You're like kind of having a period, but kind of not. It just kind of depends on the preference. But anyways, I was not taking the placebo week, which means I was not supposed to have any, anything going on. Um, breakthroughs are normal though. And so I thought that maybe this was just a brief kind of episode. I started to feel that achy, crampy, gross feeling. Um, but I wasn't supposed to be on my period. So I also thought maybe I just kind of ate something and it's not sitting right. But by the time I got home, I was in so much pain. I couldn't move. I couldn't move. Um, so I called my mom and she came over and this has happened before. So I was kind of like, okay, we just got to, you know, make it through but you know it just I kind of had a feeling and I did everything that I knew to do you know stretching Tylenol pacing staying still massaging my abdomen massaging my back Epsom salt bath heating pad essential oils you name it I was doing it and nothing nothing was bringing me any relief 
Um, I was able to get to sleep that night, but you know, like the pain woke me up several times in the night and the next morning it really woke me up with a vengeance. And within about 20 minutes of being awake, I called my mom um, before the pain became so intense that I went completely nonverbal, meaning that I was in so much pain I couldn't speak anymore. Um, my legs felt like jello under me and I thought that I was going to pass out. I was nauseous. It was not a pleasant scene. I looked disgusting. I, I felt disgusting. Um, and I was also bleeding pretty heavily at that point. So the period I, I supposedly wasn't supposed to be on came out of nowhere. Um, and in the past I have cried out of frustration at how long the pain has lasted. Um, or, you know, from pure annoyance of being a woman and having to go through this experience on such a frequent basis and, you know, wishing I was a dude. Um, but this time, I just began to silently sob. My head was over the sink, my bathroom sink, my arms resting on the counter, supporting the rest of my weight, and I just started to silently sob. And I was in so much pain that I needed some kind of release to help. And crying was the only thing that I could do at that point. It didn't help me feel better physically at all, but it gave the emotions that were bubbling inside me the space to finally move a little bit. And it was at that moment that my mom was like, despite the history and knowing what they're going to tell us, we're going to the ER, like this just like this this isn't normal this like no um and I was reluctant to go because I didn't want to pay them to tell me that nothing was wrong with me or it was a cyst again and that I was just gonna have to deal with it on my own or that it was all in my head you know typical gaslighting that can happen um in you know this particular situation between a woman and a doctor um and I didn't have the emotional space to hear that again it was enough that I was in so much physical pain I couldn't move or speak but Adding to that, being gaslit and being told that this pain was just all in my head, like, I, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, this was the worst pain that I had ever experienced by a long shot. Um, and so we got to the ER, they got me into a room as soon as they could, and they checked my vitals, got me hooked up to the machines and everything, and the ER doctor came in and asked what was going on, and I tried to coherently explain to him my situation and I got a little irritated when he told me that they would go get some they would get some Benadryl on board to help me with the pain you could tell I'm a little sassy about this but you know no grudge it's fine it's whatever um I told him that I had tried it before and that I was on a reg regimen of Tylenol but he was insistent and so I figured okay you know maybe he's just saying Benadryl so that I can understand like what he's talking about or maybe you know, I'm not a doctor. Maybe he knows more like Tylenol combined with Benadryl was beneficial. I, I don't know. I, so I was like, okay. And, you know, for added effort, he added in some anti-nausea medication. Um, but anyways, so I, I don't know how I f was feeling, you know, like when I look back on it, you know, I feel kind of weird saying this because I feel like if anyone who knows me listens to this, I don't know what they'll think, but to be honest, I was trying to just, like, keep it together and keep a brave face, like, I'm handling it, it's fine, but again, I just started to sob from the pain again when the nurse started giving me the medication through the IV. I, I don't have a problem with needles or anything like that, but the pain was spiking at, to such an unbelievable height that I didn't know how much more I could handle before my body just gave out, and I didn't want to be talked down to, like, 
oh, like, it's okay, pumpkin, like, you're, you're doing great, like, it's really sweet that people do that, and I'm not at all trying to minimize that, but when you're just in so much pain, and, you know, you just start crying, you know, it's just, it, I don't know, it's a whole thing, um, but the nurse was amazing and kind, and I could tell that she really did feel bad for me, and she explained that, you know, they were gonna get, uh, get some ultrasounds to get a better idea of what was going on and what would be causing me so much pain. Uh, but the ultrasound technician, it's a mobile unit and they wouldn't be there for another hour. Um, I could barely comprehend being in this much pain for minutes, let alone an hour. Um, so, you know, like there was no position that brought me any relief and the pressure in my back was really starting to build and the pain in my lower abdomen was sudden it would like suddenly heighten and then disappear for a few seconds before reappearing as painful as ever. Um, and you know, the way I'm describing this, I realize it kind of sounds like labor. Um, I have never been in labor, so I have nothing to compare it, you know, this pain to, and I'm not even going to begin to try because I don't know, but I can't imagine anything being too much worse, like any more. And you know, I would probably be deceased. I don't know. But, um, Anyway, the Benadryl started to kick in, and it didn't take the pain away, but it made me a little sleepy. Um, But again, like, the pain was still so horrible, and when the nurse came in to check on me, she asked, you know, how the pain was, and I couldn't really explain it between the pain and the drowsiness. Like, I just, I felt out of it to the point where I couldn't quite articulate the true feelings. Um, And... You know, an hour after being admitted, the ultrasound tech got there, wheeled in her unit, and before she started setting it up and having it make noises and how it potentially freaked me out, she sat down next to me on this chair next to my bed and she introduced herself. And she then started to explain the ultrasound process and uh, of everything of what we were about to go through. Um, And if you're anything like me, (laughs) you may be thinking that the sweet ultrasounds you might be thinking about like the sweet ultrasounds in the movies. Um, you know, when they show you a pregnant mother wanting to see her baby, right? And they rub some gel on the belly and move the sticker around to see the baby and oh, so cute and easy. Like, yeah, (laughs) well, that is a cute picture. Yeah. But that's just one kind of ultrasound, my friends. That is the external ultrasound. That is the first one the first one, meaning there's more, that the tech explained to me about what we were going to do. And then, to get a more thorough picture, there's an internal ultrasound where they basically stick a wand in you and get pictures of, you know, your ovaries and anything else that they need to see, right? Um, so, at this point, as she's explaining that I'm about to be violated, I start to panic. And you know, the last time I had a doctor down there, I had weeks of preparation. I had talked it through with my therapist. I was also not in excruciating pain. So this time was a whole different ball game. However, however, I remembered the one thing that I did have in my control. And I remembered what the game changer was last time. And it wasn't just my preparation, but it was telling her, the, the, the tech, the ultrasound tech, who she was working with. So I mentioned that I suffered from PTSD and that physical touch is really hard for me, especially something like this. She paused and slowed herself down and she nodded and, you know, she said something that changed everything. 
she said, you know, I have worked with a lot of women your age. They often have a hard time advocating for themselves and they think that they just have to suffer through something. But if you can't do it, that's okay. If you give your consent right now to both exams and then when the time comes you don't want to do it or you need to pause or we get started and then you can't do it anymore, then that's it and we stop. Your consent now is not blanket consent. Wow. Just wow. How simple was that? Simple enough to calm me down, to give me a sense of control in a situation where I feel completely helpless. Validation that this was not a great situation and a way out if I needed one. Which all in turn gave me what I needed to hear in order to trust her with my body. Incredible. And that is what gave me the strength and courage to go through with these ultrasounds, right? So the first one we did was the external ultrasound. And I thought this one was going to be a breeze compared to the other one. But basically, you're in a hospital gown already, right? And you have no time alone to mentally prepare. They're just kind of like, okay, scoot forward and get into this position and all this stuff. And I had a blanket over my legs and, you know, you... But I had to, you know, pull up my gown so that she could have direct uh, skin contact with my lower abdomen. Um, And I had the blanket pulled up to my waistline, you know, like to hide my underwear and everything. But she got her machine all set up and then she told me that she was going to put the gel on the little wand and then she was going to move it around over my lower abdomen to get some good pictures of things uh, in there. Um, Again, just like on top, like nothing inside, nothing like that. It was all on top. Um, like right above my waistline. Um, and you know, the uncomfortable part, the uncomfortable part for me was that you kind of have to pull down your underwear just very slightly. And at this point I just, I started to panic and see, I was connected to these machines that track blood pressure or oxygen levels or something that helps the doctors see, you know, your vitals and make sure that all is well. And you see, that little fine and dandy machine that I was hooked up to started to beep faster, and it was changing colors and blinking all kinds of patterns and everything. And the ultrasound tech looked from the machine screen to me, and she said, you know, I need you to keep breathing. And I told her, I was like, I'm doing my very best. You know, and I didn't give her that sass. You know, she did not deserve my sass, and I didn't give it, but you know, for emphasis, you know, dramatic effect. (laughs) But she's like, you know, if you don't keep breathing, I'm going to have to, you know, put, I'm going to have to have them put you on oxygen. So just take some deep breaths for me. And I did my best, but you see, my body was trembling and shaking so much that it was really hard to do anything besides exist there in that moment. And what's kind of weird is that I had to pee really bad. And that was actually a good thing because supposedly when your bladder is full, they get a better picture, which I don't know why or how. Um, but other than when she was pressing on me, you know, I really had to pee and I was just hoping and praying that I wouldn't pee myself right there because, you know, that would have been rough. That would not have been a good time. Um, so I was really relieved when she was finally done taking her sweet time and I could go pee. Um, so yeah, I made it through that. Then came the really scary part, the internal ultrasound. 
Now, before I had to get ready for that, she told me this. She said, you know, I took my time with the external ultrasound to get as clear of a picture as possible. And I'm not supposed to diagnose or anything, but you, you've you mentioned you had a history. I did see a cyst on the ovary that might be causing the problem, but an internal picture will be more thorough. However, you do not have to do the internal ultrasound if you do not want to. I really did not want to do the second ultrasound, but you see, the thing is, is that I was so scared of the pain I was in that I wanted to be as certain as possible that nothing else was wrong with me. I had gotten the same answers back two times in the ER already, and I needed to know. So I went ahead and did it. I made it through the internal ultrasound. Both of these ultrasounds took about five minutes or so. And the tech was amazing, you know, talking to me about consent, explaining what was going to happen, what I would feel and how long it would take, and that I had completely, you know, a complete say and control over when we stop. And, you know, here's here's the thing, you know, they say to distract you if you want to have your phone, if you want to watch a show or like what, like do something to distract you, like that's great. And I was like, no, I just kind of want to be on my own. And, you know, I'm just kind of like, I close my eyes and I just like, I'm trying not to be somewhere. And I, I won't lie. Like, I think I definitely dissociated a little bit. Like I wasn't fully present in that moment the whole time. Um, just because I was in such severe distress, But, you know, I, there was a part in the beginning where she was, you know, talking to me about the weather and the summer and things. And, you know, you know, when someone is all up in your business, like, I'm sorry, small talk about the weather is just not something that's going to happen. Okay. Like, I want to pretend that I'm not here. I want to pretend that you're not here. I don't, I want to pretend that I am on a beach somewhere. You're not here. I'm not here. Like, I, yeah, no, like we're not, we're not doing this. So I just kind of like low key ignored that. But, uh, she was amazing though. And I, I, I applaud her. That was probably the best experience that I've ever had with a doctor in in terms of how she took control by giving me control, if that makes sense. So anyway, in the end, the doctor came back and took a look at the results of the ultrasounds, telling me that there may be a diagnosis on the horizon, but that I would need surgery to be sure that I have it. Um, and that a difficult road is ahead of me if, uh, I have what they think could be causing my pain. Um, and I left that ER with a wide range of emotions, right? Anger and deep sadness being the primary ones. Um, I went home and tried to get some sleep. The pain finally started to come down and they recommended that instead of Tylenol that I take a leave. Um, again, that works. That's something that they recommended for me. Please consult your own doctor about what will work for you. Um, and I don't know if it helped or not, but I kept up a religious regimen for a few days after that, just to be sure that I had ridden that wave to the shore. Um, you know, and the thing is, is that when I got home and those days after I was really struggling with what the doctor had, had said, I cried a lot. I felt very, um, overwhelmed and, you know, as much of a feminist as I am, you know, there's some things that, you know, might jeopardize my ability to have kids in the future, right? And things that are so incredibly hard for a woman to hear. And I am not particularly adamant about having kids. Um, That's never been something that I have been all over. But, you know, you figure that that's a choice you'll make. Um, 
you know, with the ability to, if you changed your mind, right? Um, so I was really struggling. And um, also with the fact that, you know, a, a cure for essentially what I'm going through doesn't really exist. So a lot of really big, overwhelming things I was experiencing. And I was at my parents' place that night and, you know, they said, you know, do you want to spend the night here um, instead of going back to your apartment? And I said, no, it's okay, I'll go home. Um, And they said, you know, Amanda, it's okay to lean on your support system and it's okay to need people and to let us be here for you. This is a really hard time. And if you need us, we are here. Um... You know, and my dad said that. My dad was saying this to me. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it could be awkward to talk to your dad about this. And, like, you know, it's it definitely is a little strange. But to hear that from him and to have him validate me was really important. And I decided to stay the night there. And um, that really helped bring me a lot of comfort. And I leaned on that support and that helped me bounce back faster and it also I came to the resolution much quicker that I was going to call every woman I know um and just say hey if you are comfortable talking to me about your experience with periods and pain and all of these things and you know this particular um diagnosis that I might have um would you mind talking to me about it and I the women in my life have been incredible and amazing and they have so openly shared their stories with me and um I'm so grateful for that and just how open and vulnerable they have all been with me. And um, that, again, has just like helped paint a different picture for me than what I went in with. And I would have suffered in silence. I would have spiraled. I would have done all these other things had I not had that support system there to um, just physically be with me. And then also that other support network of women to share their experience to make me feel less alone um, emotionally. And I just, I can't explain how amazing that felt. Um, so, yeah. You may be wondering now why this second story was relevant to the discussion on mental health and PTSD and sexual assault and all that. And why did I think it was appropriate to even share those stories? Or why was that even necessary to share that on this platform? A couple of reasons. One, No one was here that has been through what I was going through with all the pain and and the sudden doctor, you know, stuff, everything and the exams and everything um, that also has PTSD, at least to my knowledge that has been that these people in my life have been willing to talk to me about that in this context. Um, So I had to pave my own road on that. And after this ER visit, I put out a poll on my Instagram story asking, you know, hey, like, You know, do you feel that these conversations about PTSD and, you know, from a sexual assault um, or even an attempted sexual assault and gynecological exams, do you think that that is a conversation? Is that something that is talked about with survivors? And the overwhelming consensus was no, followed by, yes, I am scared to get these exams done, which is a very valid response. Um, So... Yeah, I hear you on that. Um, I think even without my trauma, I would still be scared of these exams. Um, Yeah. Um, And then the second thing is that mental health status and the history 
is a critical piece of the conversation when it comes to physical health and physical maintenance of the body. Communicating with your doctor or your doctors about how some of the things that you have been through impact your ability to get through a tough exam can better guide your doctor in how they work with you, how they advocate for you. They'll know how to help you prepare. They will you know, know how to walk you through it. You guys can come up with a plan together because physical health is so important. And in my family, I know that we have a history of cervical cancer as well as breast cancer. So these exams are super important for my health um, and my family's health, you know, and are at best preventative or to catch things early if God forbid that ever happens. And I would rather face the hardships of a preventative exam and, you know, and things versus the hardships or consequences of not getting these exams done. Seeing a doctor and seeing the same one once you've found one that you like is really helpful. You know, I was seeing my gynecologist for a few years before I finally consented and actually showed up for an exam, right? And there's no shame in attempting to have an exam and canceling and not showing up. Or even if you make it to the exam and then you, you are about to start and you're like, okay, you, you know you know what? No, it's not happening. There's no shame in that. At least you tried. You're trying. And that is a win. So if you are listening to this episode and you are a woman and you are around that 20 to 23 mark like me and you are wondering how you might even go about starting a conversation around an exam like the ones I talked about today... I researched just a few common tips for you, and I'll link this in the description or the details for this podcast episode. But again, remember that these exams are in an effort to find potential health problems early. And if you have family history of cervical or ovarian cancer or anything like that, or really painful periods, don't panic and save yourself the headache and start this conversation now. And again, even if even if you're, you know, like 30 and you haven't had this exam yet or 35, you know, and you haven't had this kind of exam yet, it's not too late. You can do it whenever you are ready. But please consider, please, please consider finding a doctor that you like and working on getting that relationship solid so that you can feel comfortable getting that exam done. And I'm going to tell you, you're never going to go into it fully feeling like, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Like, I'm so excited to have a doctor all up in my business. Yes. No, that is never going to be something that you feel. And if you do, well, you know what? Support of snaps to you, my friend, like more power to you. But that is personally something that I will never experience. Um, terror is a good emotion for that. Um, but anyways, I would rather deal with the preventative exams than having to do something that is a result of not doing these things. So I went to Google for these tips on how to attempt to make these exams a little more approachable, and I found some good stuff on healthline.com. Um, and six reminders are, um, are here that I'm going to quote. So this is what they share. They say that you have the right to one, Request the gender of your provider if you're going to a general medical clinic or the emergency room. So like for me, in my case, I definitely requested a woman and I will always request a woman. I am never going to have a male doctor um, down. Like, no, that that will never happen. Uh, The second thing is have another person that you trust 
in the room with you at all times. So if that's something that you're concerned about, like if you can bring your mom or bring a best friend or someone that could just be there to hold your hand, they don't have to see anything. They can be up by your head and just hold your hand. Um, that is amazing. Um, also number three, ask your doctor any questions that you have, you know, like, what am I going to feel? How long is it going to take? Um, you know, if you're worried about, you know, physical appearance, appearance or anything like that, it's okay to ask, right? Um, I don't know about you guys, but I follow a lot of gynecologists on uh, TikTok and literally just seeing some of their videos has already erased some of the terror that I face. Um, so that has honestly been amazing. Um, but again, you know, like just have those conversations with your doctor. Um, and also number four, ask your doctor exactly what will happen both before and during. And even if you want to include after the exam, I think that that's really, really great. Um, because again, that takes some of the unknown out of it. And then ask your doctor to slow down or be patient with you uh, during your exam um, and maybe extend the exam if necessary. Like it might take a little longer to get through it because, you know, you just like this is really difficult. Um, and then the last one, if the provider or atmosphere of the clinic is unwelcoming or simply makes you feel as though you cannot finish your exam, you can end the checkup whenever you want. So again, blanket consent, that is not a thing. Blanket consent, meaning when you say yes, that's it. That does not exist. That is not consent, right? Consent means you say yes until you say no. And then when you say no, consent is revoked and you're done. Okay. Oh, well, guys, there you have it. We made it through. And that kicks off our latest season of the podcast. I am so excited to see where the rest of the season takes us and the growth that will most definitely take place. So go out there and live your best lives. Find new and wonderful ways to take care of yourselves. And if you aren't yet following this platform on Instagram, I strongly encourage that you do because our community is such a family and I just love it. You can find it at flourishing.with.ptsd. Again, that's on Instagram. And... Uh, When I see you guys in my DMs, literally nothing gives me greater joy. Keep flourishing out there, you beautiful people. And with that, I will let the music take us out.